Welcome to the Fearless Sellers, the Women of Amazon podcast. I'm Joey Roberts. So I put together some of my money. I got a, another person's money. Uh, a partner brought on a silent partner for 15%. Uh, put in about $200,000 or, or so. And we launched five brands, uh, a fitness brand, a beauty brand, uh, a, a home and kitchen brand, um, electronics brand, and uh, what am I forgetting? Uh, a pet brand. Uh, and uh, some of those, three of those brands, I, I did the traditional back then, find something on Alibaba, change it up a little bit, stick my logo on it, repackage it, and make it nice packaging. Sure. Two of those brands I did completely from scratch. I like on a napkin design the stuff, I found a person to do the CAD drawing. Kevin King, welcome to the Fearless Sellers podcast. You are a famous face in the Amazon seller space as a seasoned seller who has sold millions. We will unravel your remarkable journey from founding the Billion Dollar Seller Summit to conquering international markets while creating products that people truly love. You know, I would call you the king of Amazon, but Jeff Bezos already holds that title. Yet your name, Kevin King, is one of the most well-known names to Amazon sellers. Welcome, Kevin. Hey, I'm glad to be here. Joa, right? Yes, you nailed it. Joa, that's right. right. <laughs> you must be well-traveled, what, you're to over 90 countries at this point? Yeah, I think I've been to, uh, last count, it was 94, 94 different countries. Some of those many, many times, but yeah, 94, 94 countries. Wow, gosh, all seven, all seven, All seven continents. That's incredible. So your travels to over 90 countries, that must have provided you with unique insights into various like cultures and markets. Like how has your passion for travel influenced the development of your Amazon products? Uh, yeah, I mean, the travel is, I think, the best education you could get. I think it should be actually mandatory for all Americans or any, for that matter, anywhere. And they kind of do this some in Europe. They take like a, a, a gap year. You know, you graduate from uh, high school uh, yeah. in, in Europe. And then you kind of a lot, not everybody, but a lot of people will then spend a year kind of backpacking across Europe or something. And then they'll go back to to uh, to college, to university. <clears throat> um, but we don't do that in the United States. And I think it's a huge I think it's a huge issue. I mean, we have this most Americans idea of what other countries are like comes from movies or from the news. And that's, that's just not true. Uh, it's slanted and it's, it's, uh, it's just not true. The, the way you got to do that is get out there and experience it. And, and I don't mean just, you know, for mo most Americans don't even have a passport. I think like 80% of Americans don't even have a passport, which is just crazy. That's crazy. And, and the one of the ones that do half of those, their idea of an international trip is going on a cruise to Cancun or, or to the Caribbean or, or, or something right. like that. And that's not international travel. You got to go somewhere where you don't speak the language. Hardly anybody speaks English. You don't know what the heck this stuff is you're eating. That's, that's when, you're, when you're traveling internationally. And one of my favorite things is when I uh, would travel is actually, I, I, I did this for like seven years and I wasn't backpacking or staying in hostels, but I was I spent about half a million dollars uh, from 20, uh, 2007 to 2014 uh, actually just traveling. And I'd done a bunch before that, but I, I just reached a point when I hit 40. That I was like, I want to I want to have a bucket list of places I want to go. And I just I want to go now. I don't want to wait till I'm retired. That's the typical thing is people work their ass off and then they, they decide when they, you know, they're 65, 70, 75, they're going to travel. And you just a lot of times you don't know what your health is going to be at that age. You don't know 
can you cl climb the Great Wall of China? Can you jump out of an airplane over the Serengeti? Can you do what, whatever it may be? You may not be able to do it. And so I, I was like, I want to do it now when it can still make an impact on my perception of the world, the perception of people, and get, get those experiences now. And then when I, when I retire, if I ever retire, then I can go back to the ones that I really like. And I don't have to do some of the crazy experiences. But the food, uh, one of my favorite things when I go to a new country is to go to a supermarket and just walk through a supermarket because you can get so much of a local culture just by seeing their foods and what, what's organized. And I would oftentimes hire a guide or somebody to actually uh, at each of these places because you know, I didn't speak the language. And so I'd hire a guide and a driver. And this is not expensive. This is like maybe 75 bucks a day. But that way... Yeah. I can, I'm not on a tour bus, you know, with a, taking these package tours and I'm at the whim of everybody else. I can do what I want. And a lot of times by the end of the trip, if I was in Morocco or Cambodia or somewhere or in the Philippines, by the end of the trip, after day seven or eight, you become friends with these people in a way. And they're inviting you to their house and, and you're going to their house in the local village and you're meeting their grandmother and their kids and you're having a little deal, a, a, a meal that their, their wife or husband in some cases uh, made for you. Um, and it's just, you don't get those experiences any other way. And it, it changes your perception of the world. And so when I see news now, or I see different cultures, I have a whole different respect for humankind, for how, how similar we are, but how different we are. And back to your question of how does this affect what I, what I do uh, in my products and stuff, it, it's, it has a huge effect because I understand I have empathy for what our culture is different and how or do different products fit into different markets and different people. And so the, it, 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 it's had a big impact and I, I would not give it back for the world. You know, I spent like a half a million dollars doing this over those seven years and people were like, Kevin, you're, that was stupid. You could have taken that half a million dollars, put it in an IRA, invested it in something. No way. You'd have two, three million dollars. I'm like, no, that's the best money I ever spent. Um, and so that's, I could go on for hours about the, travel and experiences and stuff. But uh, I think it's super important that people get out there and get out of their comfort zone. I agree. And it is investing in yourself. I traveled in college. I had six months where I went to 12, third, most of them, yeah, most all 12 of them were actually third world countries. And I spent six months away from the United States. And I learned the best thing you can do for your country is leave for a long period of time. It also makes you appreciate some, I mean, there's a lot of issues in the United States. There's, we have, we have our, our share of problems here socially, economically, and across the politically. But by going to other countries, you actually realize how good you actually have it here, especially as entrepreneurs. I mean, really, I mean, it comes down, most entrepreneurs in the United States don't realize how lucky they were to be born an American citizen or to live here and actually be able to do what we can do here. You can't do this. I mean, you talk to, uh, someone like Isabella Ritz. I know she's been on the podcast. You talked to her coming from Russia. Yeah. And we were just having this talk at a recent convention you and I were at. Um, I was having it with her and she was saying, look, guys, you, you have no clue. Um, you know, my cap in Russia was about a hundred thousand dollars a year above that. I have to fear for my life or I have to, you know, <clears throat> I can't put the money in the bank or it's, it's going to get taken or this. She has, you have no idea how good you guys have it here. And it's true. Most Americans take it for granted of, how entrepreneurship is so, so much more powerful and the opportunities here are so much more than they are anywhere else in the world. And that includes modern countries like England and Australia. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, that's a really good conversation. Isabella Ritz has been on a few times and I love her perspective. And 
I do appreciate people who come to the United States for the American dream. And Amazon provides that where your income is not capped. And sometimes, honestly, Kevin, when I was in the corporate world, I felt like my corporate job was capping my potential and my income. So I'm blessed that I found Amazon in the U.S. Well, that's a good point that you just made, too. There's a lot of your listeners and a lot of sellers on Amazon are not in the U.S. And they're able to take advantage because of this ecosystem that's popped up around selling on Amazon in the United States and in other places, but primarily in the United States. They're actually able to take advantage of some of those opportunities that without having to move here, without having to go the visa process, without having to leave their families and make a huge difference in their lives, in their country. And it, it's it's the best opportunity the world has ever seen uh, this whole ecosystem of being able to leverage a multi-billion dollar company uh, to change your life and build your own brand. Yes. And we both share that as you and I both help people learn to sell on Amazon. And I love helping people from other countries completely understand how Amazon works and how they can sell in the United States. So um, speaking of beautiful places in travel, the Billion Dollar Seller Summit. I don't know how that came about for you. Was this something that this event you started because of your travels? The last one was in Puerto Rico. You have the next one coming up in Hawaii. Um, yeah, the Billion Dollar, I've always loved creating experiences for people and creating uh, learning environments. I did it when I was in college years ago. Yeah, there was a class called uh, Banna 217 that all sophomore business majors had to take it. I went to Texas A&M University and they had to take. And back then it was the basic computing language. You know, it's hardly ever used anymore, but it's more all the all these C plus and all, you know, Python, all this stuff now. But back then it was a basic and it was a weed out class. And it's just and the professors, for whatever reason, they would all have a standardized test three times a semester. They would say on this date, no matter who your professor was, uh, you, you could have an exam and the professors just weren't very good at teaching it. So I, I figured that out because I was tutoring one-on-one -on -one tutoring for like six bucks an hour or something like that. And it, it just grew into one person. Then I was like, I got so many people. I had to start doing group tutoring, like five people and then 10 people at a time, ran out a little room in the library. And then it got to the point where I was having 400 or 500 people actually come to me the night before a test. There'd be, you know, 800 people taking the class. So I'm getting, 60, 70% of the people taking this class. And I'd have to rent out the Hyatt or the Hilton Ballroom in College Station Whoa. To, to, to host these. And they'd be like two and a half hours long. And I would just go through with them. I'd have my own, I had my own little learning study guide. I had my own little uh, deal uh, way of teaching them how to remember certain, uh, certain patterns and certain things. And then they'd go and they'd do the test, take the test the next day. Uh, and it evidently worked because they kept coming back. So if I sucks, they probably would not have kept coming back. But three times a semester, I charge fifteen dollars a head. A couple of my college roommates would sit there and take the money, and you know, I make five to seven thousand dollars in a night. Uh, and as a eighteen, nineteen-year-old college student, that's a lot of freaking money, especially in the eighties. Yeah. Uh, so <clears throat> that, that was a lot of money, and that that just evolved. So I have a background in the teaching side of things. Um, but then in 2016, 2017, actually. Manny Coates and Guillermo Puyol, who started Helium 10, they've now exited the company, they exited in 2019, but they said, hey, we want to do this in Mill Mastermind. And it was a hot thing back then where uh, uh, Jason Flatland was doing it, uh, the guys at Amazing were doing it, there's a few other people, Ben Cummings, they were hosting like $10,000 and $15,000 masterminds. So you go for three days and they get these higher level, more successful sellers at the time, and you'd sit around and just swap strategies and swap tactics that aren't for beginners. 
and they were charging ten to fifteen thousand dollars a head to to come to one of these, and but they were just just like a just a conference. There wasn't much else to it—a conference and some drinks. And ah. so Manny and Guillermo said, "Hey, let's let's do something like that." Um, and so we produced something called Illum- the Illuminati Mastermind. And the first one was in Cancun in 2017, in May of 2017. That's where I met Norm Farrar. I met Steve. I met uh, Janelle Page was, was at that one. Um, there's a, a list of people you'd recognize that, w- that were at that. And we had like 60, 70 people. It wasn't huge. Uh, and then we did another one in Hawaii in uh, early 2018. And then uh, at that, the, the name Illuminati is a kind of a cool name, but it also got a little yeah. bit of pushback. It's kind of offensive to a few people. So they wow. ended up changing the name and, and rolling it into the software called Helium 10 Elite. So now it's called Helium 10 Elite, which is a monthly training. I still host that, and there's three speakers that come on, and I do my little seven ninja hacks. But and they stopped doing the events. And I said, well, hey, if you're going to stop doing these events, can I just do them on my own? They're like, yeah, but, you know, we might do our own event, you know, which was sale and scale. Um, ended up being we, So we don't want you, like, going out there and using this audience that you've got and creating this master event and competing against us. So you can do a small event with 50 people. And so ah. the first billion dollar seller summit was 2019 uh, with with 50 people. Uh, and then I renegotiate. I don't work for Helium 10, but I, I have an independent contract. Just, it's kind of like a consulting agreement. Okay. And start and renegotiating that, it went up to 120, 22. And, and starting next year, it's 150. Uh, so that's how the billion dollar seller summit came about. The first one was in May of 2019 in Austin. We did the first four in Austin just because it's easy and convenient. And a lot of people like to come to Austin. Yeah, we're both we in decided. Austin. Yeah, you. I live here. You live here, and I've been yep. to two of two of your events in Austin, and and those were phenomenal. And then we decided, let's hey, let's take it on the road and do a little world tour. Let's uh, let's go Taylor Swift on this thing. Uh, <laughs> and so <laughs> we we uh, did Puerto Rico, uh, and then now we're doing uh, Hawaii, and I think after uh, the next year we're looking at Iceland uh, uh, for twenty twenty five. Uh, so, um, yeah, we've, we've got, uh, some, some cool ideas. So it's, it's twice a year. It's once virtually and once in person. And then I also do one, um, called the billion dollar exit summit. We're doing the first one of those in October here in Austin in conjunction with the Northbound group. So this is a, it's a workshop style. It's only about 25 to 30 people. And so it's not cool. the bigger, and it's, it's very focused on people who are looking to exit in the next year to year and a half. And, hands-on with we're bringing in lawyers and investment bankers and uh, the entire northbound uh, team um, is going to be coming in and so that's the billion dollar exit summit but then but we try to make as, as you've been to a couple and we try to make the billion dollar seller summits it's expensive to go and it's the average person in hawaii was doing 13 and a half million dollars so it's, yeah. it's a, so- a big group of people and and we do experiences so it's not just listen to some cool strategies and and hacks but there's tons of networking beyond just sit around and have a drink at the bar built in. You know, we do the games and we do a ton of things to really help everybody bond and to really make it a memorable experience. Yeah. I mean, this is the only event that I know where it really attracts the top, top sellers from around the world. And all of us cool kids call it BDSS. And I, I think you're right. I think it's the experiences and I bonded to several people that I got to do the scavenger hunt with that actually Isabella Ritz and I were already like connected. I would say, you know, we're in the same industry, we're contacts, but the BDSS where we did the scavenger hunt and got to put on like the costumes that like mm-hmm. solidified our friendship. It was now like we did this, we're friends. 
Yeah, so many people when we did that, people were like scavenging. You know, some people, probably 20, 25 people didn't participate. Some of them had to actually legitimate, I got to go take some calls or I got to do some work. But some were like, this is stupid. This is like, I did this in high school. You're going to go run around and find an egg or find do this or do that. I'm like, no, no. I used to do these in college. That I organized that entire event. I put it together. It wasn't yeah. a company or anything. I actually did it. I used oh, to wow. do them in college. And I was like, this is um, <clears throat> going to be cool. So the way, for those of you listening, uh, it worked is you were giving a, a clue sheet and it had uh, two or three pages of, of clues, like 13 or something clues on there of things you had to do. And part of the goal of this was when you go to a conference, a lot of times you just – you're stuck in the conference uh, building, you know, wherever that is. And maybe you go out to a restaurant for a mixer or something, or you go out one night to a bar with some, some other uh, people from the event, but you don't really get to see the place you're at. So we wanted to like show people like, you know, Austin's got is, is more than just uh, sixth street and rainy street, uh, uh, you know, and the convention center. So we, you, it was within a radius, three or four mile radius of downtown, but you had these 13 clues and you had to go find the Stevie Ray Vaughan statue. You had to go to a selfie museum. You had to go, uh, to Lucy in Disguise and get a contest. You had to go to the Yeti place. You had to do all this kind of cool stuff, and you'd earn points along the way and by taking pictures or by doing certain things. And then each of these places, you didn't know where the final destination was. So at each of these places, uh, you get a, it would say, look at the, I don't know, the last letter, the third line of this sign. Sign, what, what's that letter? And it'd be, I don't know, an S. So it's like write down S. And then you had like a Scrabble game with all these letters, and you had extra letters, and you had to figure out where these spell and that's where the final destination was. Uh, and so, and there's a one little clue that, that, that I think on there just to, so you couldn't wouldn't get distracted on, on the destination, pick the wrong one by accident. And that, it, what happens is you got to work together as a team. So you have four big sellers in the car, some that know each other, some that may barely know each other, like you said, or, or some that don't know each other at all. And you had to work together as a team. And everybody, I think we had one person say, yeah, that just wasn't for me at the end of it. <laughs> But everybody else are still talking about it a year later. So we're yeah. doing that again. We're doing that again in Hawaii next year. Oh, it's you go so to Hawaii, you go, you go to you go to Kauai, and you're like, it's a beautiful resort. It's a beautiful place. And sometimes you're like, man, I I need to stay here like three or four extra days so I can see this place. But I can't do that. I can't. I don't have the time. I got to get back to my job. And so we're building in a full day during Billion Dollar Seller Summit, where you're going to see one side. Of, from one side of the island to the other and do a, a race like that and do some really cool stuff. And Hawaii is one of those places as you're driving from one side of the island to the other, it's not like, you know, this is a 30 minute drive, you know, I'm going to take a nap back here in the back or, but you're, you're looking out the window at this uh, going, Holy shit, this is beautiful. Oh, you round another corner. Freak. I mean, you've been to Kauai, you know, um, yes. so um, it's beautiful place. It is beautiful. Yes. I was lucky. My parents had a, a place there when we were growing up. So I used to go and then there was a point where they just stopped inviting me and they wanted to enjoy it themselves. <laughs> <laughs> no, no kids allowed. Exactly. They're like, you're done. <laughs> <laughs> so when I'm listening to you talk, so you, we were going through, you did the, at Texas A&M, you kind of took risks. I would say, I would call it a risk to just start tutoring these big groups and then moving into huge groups. And then it seems like, you know, you took the risk doing the billion dollar seller summit and making these partnerships and as a top Amazon seller, and you've sold millions of dollars of products, 
this risk just seems like it's just built into you as an entrepreneur, knowing that you've had other businesses. So let's let's talk about that. How do you approach risk? Like, how do you manage and mitigate it? I mean, the number one is by saying no. I mean, I get so many opportunities brought to me, either because of my public persona or the speaking or people who know me from different things. and Like, hey, let's partner up on this and that. And a lot of it's I've passed up on great opportunities in the past, but I have to just I have to say no and I have to pick the things that where it's in my comfort zone or where I think I can contribute the most. I've got eight different sources of income in the Amazon space. So if one of those goes down, uh, I'm not I'm not screwed. Uh, So I I, and that's on purpose. And people I don't have any VA. I have one VA now on one of my things. Uh, But I for a long time, I had no VAs. I have no staff. I've been there. I had an office here in Austin with 16 employees, 17 off. seven offices in there and huge warehouse and all that stuff. And I just don't want to go back to that. So what I do now is I partner smart uh, with, with people that already have that. You know, I, I form a partnership with Steve Simonson for the, the product Savants. He's already got a system of VAs and a system of people sourcing people in China. So I don't have to do anything except contribute what I'm best at and just get out of the way. The same thing with Helium 10. You know, I do with Helium 10. I don't own Helium 10. I don't have any partnerships in there. I don't. I deal with three people there. I don't even know the owners now. Never met 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 uh, the owners of Helium 10. I deal with Bradley, Carrie, and uh, a VA basically, and occasionally one other person on something. And and that's it. I just keep my head down and, and do my thing. I don't know what the new software's coming out. I have no idea on any of this stuff until everybody else. But but when I do a podcast, for example, the AMPM podcast, yeah. I book my own guests. I don't have a VA book them. I, I decide who I want to bring on. I do zero prep. So as I don't do any questions in advance. It's just, let's just have two people talking. Let's just wing it. If I don't know who they are, I figure them out in the conversation. So the, the yeah. audience is learning as, as I'm learning. Uh, and then I just turn it over to them. They edit it, do the transcripts, do the graphics, post it out. I, I'm completely out of it. Uh, and so that's, I don't have to have a team. They have the team to do that. And the same thing with a freedom ticket, the same thing with Helium 10 Elite that I do with them with a billion dollar seller summit. I, you've met Mark. Mark and I have been partners for over 30 years on a, a couple other businesses. So, and I know he's really good at producing. So just partner or hire good people and then get out of their way. That's my philosophy. And a lot of times at those events, uh, like the billion dollar seller summit, I decide who's speaking. I sell the tickets and, and help choose the venue. And I enjoy creating like the scavenger hunt. That's something I enjoy, that creative process of, of creating that experience. So I'm involved in that. But everything else, I'm not involved in negotiating contracts. I'm not involved in the day-to-day, what kind of food are we having or check-ins yeah. or any of that. It, it's, that. That's how I'm able to do it. So I spread risk by, by hiring or partnering with, with smart people and carefully choosing what I'm going to do. And then I, I try not to, I try to minimize how much of my own personal money is going into it. I lost, uh, and during COVID, I personally lost $400,000 during COVID on Amazon. But between me and my partners, Steve Simonson was one of them. I had some other guys. We lost a total of about $2 million uh, on Amazon in about a six, eight month period. Uh, and, but, and so, but I, that wasn't all my money. There was, to spread the risk, there was other people putting in, putting in money. And my contribution was that I knew Amazon, I had the connections. So that was my value versus the money value and let someone else put up, put up the money value. Okay. So that's really interesting that the risk, we're talking about how you, you do really good partnerships. 
And then we moved into COVID and I'm, so now my brain is going back a little bit to Ecom Summit when the, um, remember when the, somebody was presenting and they put up the hand sanitizer video mm-hmm. uh-huh, and I saw mine. you kind of react. Is that what yeah. it, you sold hand sanitizer? Yeah, we, we did. We got into the store. We did a case study on this at the, one of the virtual billion dollar seller summits, I think in 2021. It's a pretty interesting, you know, everybody in this industry, they always talk about their, their, their thump on their chest. Look at me. I did a uh, $5 million in six months or I, I, I exited my company for this, or this is how easy it was to find something on Alibaba and look at these crazy products. Nobody ever talks about their failures. Nobody. Uh, the, the people that fail usually go off and start software companies or training courses. Um, but the, the, um, not always. I mean, there's a lot of good people like you guys uh, and you know, Brandon Young, and there's several others out there that are successful sellers that are actually teaching. But a lot of the people that are teaching uh, were failed seller, sellers. Um, and so, but we started, we, when hand, when COVID happened, we had an opportunity to get into hand sanitizers and I was like, no way, this is going to be another, uh, hoverboard. This is going to be another fad, another fidget spinner, not going to do it. And then my partners in out of Asia on one of my other companies, like, well, we have a good source on this stuff, it's FDA regulated. It's all this, because at that time people were just throwing stuff up on, on Amazon, all these weird brands out of China, uh, Amazon. It became such a shortage that Amazon created what's called the COVID store. And so they took all the, the big hand sanitizers from the U.S., uh, you know, the, the Perel, all the big, all the big name hand sanitizers and basically locked it behind these closed doors so medical people could get it. And so what was available was just this random stuff from China that would take a month to get to you. And so we're like, well, if we're, we have an opportunity here. Let's take a look at this. And then there was a Steve Simonson had a factory a chemical factory, a partner in another business that had a chemical factory in uh, in Wisconsin that had to close down because of COVID. They did like flooring, chemicals for flooring and stuff for houses. Oh. And they had like 35 employees and like, what can we do? And like, well, let's convert that to actually make a hand sanitizer. And there were some special exceptions on the FDA. So we hired all those people. We made wipes uh, at their factory. We had the hand sanitizer coming out of Asia. Uh, we said, well, let's brand this. If we're going to do this, um, we did uh, research on like, it's trending up, but we think even after COVID kind of dis- uh, goes away, people are still going to be more conscious about washing their hands yeah. and stuff. So there's going to be a there's going to be a lag effect. It's not it's not going to be the crazy numbers like it was, but it'll be above where it was before COVID, which is still true. So like if we're going to do this, let's create a true brand. So we did real branding. We didn't just put a cross on a bottle and say it's hand sanitizer like everybody else. We actually did Germ Shark, uh, and it was a true brand with like full on jingles, full on advertising. Here in Austin, we had people dress up in shark costumes and run down the, the trail by the lake, passing out stuff, and we filmed it. All, I go remember an, that. Okay, I had, totally know this brand. Yes, had to had to go into an H. We went into H E B and got kicked out. The, uh, you know, they're pushing carts all through the shopping lot of H, of a, which is a local grocery store, and uh, the manager's like, "What the hell's going on here?" And someone uh-huh. in the office was filming it because it was like, and then it went viral on Instagram. Uh, and so we were doing everything right. Uh, we had FDA approvals, which most people didn't. Um, we got into the COVID store, which was hard to get into the official Amazon COVID store. So Amazon, you putting up hand sanitizers at the time on Amazon, they're just slapping them down. You last a day or two and they'd take it down, take it down, take it down. We were actually a hundred percent approved and all the, and we had a business development guy at Amazon who was in charge of the whole COVID stuff. And, you know, I had his home cell phone numbers. Anytime we had a problem, he was helping us get approvals. There's some issue with our label. It went all the way up to Amazon legal and they signed off on it. We, we did everything right. 
we launched we were doing on one of SKU like forty something thousand dollars a day just crushing it um but then we would do back then there were search find buys so we we were uh you know that was still common it still happens today but it was more common then yeah we we were in the middle of a big launch and it's hand sanitized you're gonna have to spend a hundred two hundred thousand dollars on a launch to get it positioned on page one just because of the competitive nature yeah. and we were doing that and then halfway through that the amazon algorithm would shut us down Ooh. we get shut down for like some just uh, th- you're not allowed to sell this on Amazon. We're like, what the hell? We're already approved. We like have the papers from Amazon. We're FDA. We're everything, but the algorithm doesn't think like a human. Uh, it thinks like an AI or whatever. Just it's black and white. <clears throat> and so we would have to go to our rep and say we're just shut down. He would get us back up. Usually, sometimes within an hour, sometimes within a day or two. But this constantly kept happening, like nine, ten, eleven times. We started having issues with there was a. Um, a scare out there with uh, there's three different types of alcohol you can use and in, in hand sanitizer and one of them was a wood based alcohol yeah and these these companies were buying this out of Mexico and there's a scare in the news and so we had people writing on our, our listings that um, this this is using this wood based alcohol not ethanol and don't use this you know I'm 85 years old this place should be banned so we get two or three of those Amazon would shut the listing down again even though it's tote we had our label there here's the ingredients we had every it it just became such a freaking mess that um, we just finally said the hell with us. And then we tried to lick. We had eight hundred and about eight hundred ninety thousand dollars. Just call it nine hundred thousand dollars worth of inventory at cost in a warehouse in Washington. Some of the stuff's flammable, and we're freaking out. The flyer marshal is going to be coming by and saying you have too much of this here. So we tried to liquidate it. Steve's very well connected with Walmart and Office Depot and. A, Costco and all these, and they're like, we couldn't even liquidate it for five cents on the dollar because they're like, we, we're up to our eyeballs already in this stuff. We've overbought before. We have bins of this stuff we can't get rid of now. So we couldn't liquidate it. So what we did is we put it, put out an ad in early 2021, it was spring of 2021, uh, to a church, to, to a, a local newspaper and said, hey, come and get it. And so we literally had, I think, some big Korean church at, uh, put it out to their huge audience. It was and we on had, the news, right? I, wasn't that on the news? Like, the free it might have been it, it might have been um and then <clears throat> i don't remember uh if it was up there or not but then they they would back up suvs uh, and just throw up you know people would load up their trunk with a bunch of hand sanitizer we got we went we had 460 pallets or something like that wow hand sanitizer and we wiped it out but then here's the kicker in 2022 last year in february 2022 I'm hosting the virtual billion dollar seller summit. And as you know, I give cash prizes to the speakers, to the winners, whoever's voted best speaker or best hack, they get a cash prize. So on the virtual summit, I wanted to like hold up my hand, you know, with a bunch of cash and like, here's the cash the winner's going to get just, you know, one of those little uh, stereotypical little things to show it's, this is real. So I went to the a local credit union here um, that I have to get, to get the cash and I'm in there getting the cash and, uh, you know, you're touching cash and cash can be dirty. So there's some hand sanitizer and I just reach up to pop some, pop some on my fingers and I'm rubbing. I'm like looking up and the bottle is turned and I'm like, wait a second. I turn the thing around. It's the freaking hand sanitizer we gave away for free in Washington state and made it all the way down to this bank. And then I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Maybe, or maybe it's just someone bought one. They brought it in. Now I'm looking around every freaking teller, every freaking loan officer's desk has a bottle of our hand sanitizer and it was the one that we had given away for free. So someone got all this stuff and resold it. Uh, so someone made some money on it, but it wasn't us. Uh, but so yeah, that was a, uh, I had a seller's funding loan 
for like 300 grand on this to you know help do some of the inventory and I personally signed on it and uh, so I ended up uh, paying about 200,000 of that out of my pocket personally and uh, you know from the business not from my partners that was my personal hit yeah. uh, it, it was one of the guys had luckily done well on some crypto crypto was doing well at that time one of the big investors that lost uh, about a million bucks um, he'd done really well in crypto so fortunately you know it was just kind of like a, he wasn't too pissed off about it uh, but it, yeah it was crazy times but regardless of that Amazon is still the best place you can sell. I mean, even though we had this, it had, people were like, does that just turn you off to Amazon? No, it doesn't turn me off. It makes me, back to your question, mitigate my risk uh, and yeah. do things that are going to mitigate the risk a little bit more because there's always, you, you're not planning, you're planning their, in their sandbox and their playground and, and you, you have no control. And so the more control you can get, the better you are. And that's why I'm big on building your own brand, your own audience. All this you need to sell off of Amazon is important, but and but people overemphasize that a lot. Uh, you should get to that point, and that should be a goal. But if you're selling on Amazon and Shopify and Walmart, you're most likely 89% of your sales are still coming from Amazon. So if they, they shut you down, you're still um, up a creek without a paddle. Uh, uh, but the more you can get that off of there, and they're different business models, uh, and Walmart's a little bit the same, but... Shopify is a totally different business model to maximize that. So you just got to decide where you're going to focus on or you're going to go after them all. And uh, that's something that a lot of people lose. But the biggest thing is get that customer list. So we have a list of uh, you know customers from that. I have a list of customers from all my businesses. One of my businesses is a calendar business. I have a list of customers been buying from me for 20-something years, you know, 16,000 people. And some of these guys still send checks and money orders in the mail. We do six figures of sales of people sending a check and a money order. And for those of you that don't know what a money order is, that's when you take a $100 and you go to 7-Eleven and you say, I need, I need a piece of paper that says this is worth $100. Here's my $100 and a dollar fee. And then they send that to the mail. Um, <clears throat> this younger crowd doesn't know what money orders are. Right. Um, but that, that's, you know, and a check is a piece of paper. You write, you know, a dollar amount on it and you sign. I'm just kidding. Yeah. Uh, but that, and it's kind of cool though, during, that's a seasonal product. So from about uh, November, we send out a mailer in the mail. We sell these on Amazon. We sell these through stores like calendars.com, which are big stores in the malls and stuff, and yes. they have a resale. So, and then we send out a flyer through the mail, and these people send in checks and money orders. I have a P.O. box here in Austin where I go a couple times a week, and it's kind of like Christmas. Like today, it's the stack of letters going to be this high, or, it's, or the stack of letters going to be this high, and like every one of those letters has money in it. Uh, yeah. You know, it's kind of cool. So the journey to selling on Amazon started with the calendars, right? So was it like um, Sports Illustrated type calendars? No, I first sold on Amazon in 2001, I think it was. And I first started out because I was doing some stuff on eBay, just selling it. We had stuff around the office, like a, we'd upgrade the printer or upgrade a, you know, a, a hard drive or something like that, and I'd sell the old one on eBay. And uh-huh. I saw something on Amazon where it was said, uh, you know, it, have one to sell, sell yours or something like that. It's a little button that would be under a listing for like a Hewlett Packard printer. I was like, oh, I can sell mine here and I don't got to go through this whole, uh, back then eBay was still an auction. It didn't have the, the fixed purchase stuff. Yeah. So I was like, oh, I can just sell it without the hassle. Uh, and so I would sometimes put, hit that button. I, I wiped out when DVDs uh, went to uh, Blu-ray. Uh, you know, I wiped out all my old DVDs, upgrading everything to Blu-ray. So I'd sell yeah. the original DVDs. And 
and then convert and then go buy the Blu-ray just to upgrade the technology. And then that evolved into, yeah, the calendars on Amazon. We, we were in a program called Advantage, which was uh, it's kind of like a consignment or a 1P program where you would it's only for books, media, and DVDs. And so we would uh, send in, they would give us a purchase order. Back then it was like for the whole season, maybe 300 calendars, 400 calendars. And we would send them in to them and then they would pay, basically take them on consignment and then pay us for them as they sold. You know, every month they would make a deposit based on a, a prefixed amount. And I remember we do more than 400 calendars a day now on some days, but that back then the entire season was 400 calendars. And so we did that for a while, but we didn't have control of the listing. I, I couldn't really, I could, I made the listing, but I couldn't control, you know, the keywords too easily. I couldn't control the title. I couldn't control a lot of things. Mm. And so we switched that to uh, FBA. And, and another reason we switched it to FBA is to get the customer data. Because at one point, it's a private label. One, yeah, Amazon's taken away the customer data, but one of the deals that we deal with our calendars is we print these in Korea for our land it costs about $1.60. We sell them for 20 bucks, So it's a really good margin. And we also have a direct-to-consumer list that we, like I was just telling you, the checks and money orders. So people pay them, they pay us $19.95 plus shipping. Uh, so they're paying $9.95 or $12.95 shipping on top of that. Uh, and so we make a little bit of money on the shipping, but we also became like a warehouse where we we would find, uh, we'd sell about 140 other calendars. So not just the ones that we made, but we would extend the brand. And yeah, they're like Sports Illustrated, bikini type of calendars. Uh, and so we would find, you know, some uh, girls fishing, somebody, some guy would make a girls fishing in uh, Wyoming calendar. It's a bunch of girls with fishing rods, you know, standing in bikinis in waist deep water fishing. And fishermen buy that stuff. Or they'd be um, pretty girls next to Harley Davidson bicycles or, or motorbikes uh, or it'd be uh, some Australian, the Australian uh, beach club, you know, or whatever. So we would, we would bring in all these different calendars to leverage the audience. Like if they like ours, they probably like these others yeah. and our audience are collectors. So it's not just guys who want a, you know, pretty girl calendar sitting in the garage, but they're, they're collectors. Right. And so some of them buy two and they open one and keep one in the, in the shrink wrap as a collectible. And so, um, they want all this stuff and the stuff that they couldn't get. It's the, it's the long tail kind of stuff. So we would carry all of those. So I wanted the names, people that bought their leads on Amazon, the people that would buy on Amazon would be a lead for those. Mm. And so we, we would, back then, Amazon gave you that data. Now they've closed it down pretty much. There's still ways to get it, but unless you're doing FBM, they pretty much closed down being able to export your customer list. But we do things where calendars are like selling milk. They go bad. If you make a book, you come out with a, a great book on how to sell on Amazon and, and you make a thousand copies and you only sell 600 of them right now, those other 400, you can sell them next year, most likely. And the next year, maybe at some point they go out of date, but you have a longer runway with calendars. You don't, they go, they spoil at the end of the year. And so we have always have, we have to get a guessing game every year. How many of this one do we need? How many of that one do we need? So we usually have, we usually screw up. We usually under order on one. We sell out really quick. And another one, we're stuck with extra thousand of them. So what do we do is on our Amazon orders now, we put in a little four by six card. It's in all, not just Amazon, everywhere. Four by six card says, congratulations, you've won a free calendar. Just pay $10 shipping and handling, and we'll send you a random calendar. You don't get to choose it. We even say on there, it may be one you already have. Uh, if so, it makes a great gift for a buddy. Uh, if not, you know, you'll get the calendar. And we have a lot of people send in a check a $10 check or money order, they go to a website and do it with a credit card. 
And that way we liquidate our extra inventory. It's totally random. They don't get to pick it. Uh, so the, the crap that does, it's the shitty calendars that didn't sell or whatever they, they get or that we just messed up on. They get one free and we get a name and a lead that we can then turn around and say, in the next year, look at all these cool stuff we have. And we do really good off of that and build a list. That's awesome. It's, and I think and, it, and, it, and it's profitable because at 10 bucks, our cost on most of these is a couple, you know, anywhere from $1.60 for ours to four or five bucks if it's somebody else's that we bought. And then the shipping is on it's about four or five bucks. So it's either break even or make a, you know, make 50 cents or a dollar. So it's, it's a self liquidating. It liquidates our inventory and it builds a list of prospects. All basically it liquid, it washes out. That is free, free out of credit. Yeah, that's super cool. I love that's a way to liquidate, but also people love the element of surprise. Like what kind of random calendar am I going to get? Like that's a, that's really yeah. cool. Mm -hmm. I like that. So it's, it's like you've pivoted so many times in your Amazon career, but in one you've stuck it out in selling, let's just say products and building on Amazon. Um, what I'm hearing is from you, it's like, okay, then you went hardcore with the hand sanitizer and you went all in with the, the calendar. So you from, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I see this as you've looked at e-commerce, any venture you've done more as like a serious venture versus any type of side hustle. Yeah. It's never been a side hustle for me. I mean, when I started doing FBA, I got into FBA in 2015 uh, because amazing.com was doing some courses they, and they were doing a four part webinar series before they actually did the big webinar to sell you. They would do a four part informational where they just, the first webinar would be, here's kind of what Amazon, the opportunity is. And the second one, here's how you can find a product. Here's how you can source it. And then the fourth one would be, uh, here's about us. And then they would, that would all, nothing would be sold in that. Then the last one, uh, would be come join us on the webinar that Jason Flatland's going to hold. Uh, on, on this particular uh, date. And that's where they would sell you a $5,000 course to come, you know, let, let us help you do the whole thing. I watched the little four part series in 2015. And I was like, I don't need to pay five grand for this. I've been doing this. I've been sourcing stuff out of Asia. I've been yeah. building products on another thing that I've been doing for a long time. So I put together some of my money. I got a, another person's money. Uh, a partner brought on a silent partner for 15%. Um, put in about $200,000 or, or so. And we launched five brands, a uh, fitness brand, a beauty brand, uh, uh, a home and kitchen brand, um, electronics brand, and uh, what am I forgetting? Uh, a pet brand. Uh, and uh, some of those, three of those brands, I, I did the traditional back then, find something on Alibaba, change it up a little bit, stick my logo on it, repackage it, and make it nice packaging. Sure. Two of those brands I did completely from scratch. I like on a napkin, designed the stuff, I found a person to do the CAD drawings to make the 3D printing, did 3D printing and prototyping, all completely original stuff. One of those was a, a dog bowl, a slow feed dog bowl. That's I, my dog still, he just, she just ate out of it this morning. Mm -hmm. um, an another one was uh, right in 2015, the Apple watch was just coming out, the very first Apple watch. People were selling little docks on online for this Apple watch and they're, they're crap. There's their bamboo like little $10, $15 little stands to sit on your desk to hold the watch. I was like, if I'm paying 500 bucks or whatever the price was for an Apple watch, I don't want a piece of shit little wooden bamboo thing to hold my watch. I want something that looks like an Apple product. Yeah. So I created this $89 stand that would charge an iPad, an iPhone, had a Bluetooth speaker built in, would hide all the cables. Um, it was really cool. It's called Basecamp. 
and launched that in uh, fall of 2015 and was doing uh, selling sixteen dollars to $20,000 a day of these. Wow. Um, and doing it did it did really, really well. Um, and that, I mean, that leads to other stories on cash flow issues and all kinds of stuff. But yeah, so I, I did a bunch of them. I still have the dog and the pet brand. Um, the other ones, I still own them, but they're, they're not active. The pet brand is still active. Uh, so it's not just the calendars and stuff. I still do other stuff as well. But I, yes. I'm not big. I don't, I'm not one of these people with a thousand SKUs. I have about 15 SKUs. I keep it small and lean. And even I, I eliminate profitable products sometimes if they're not not worth my time anymore. If they're only making a few thousand bucks a month profit, I'm like, you're out of here. Let me replace it with something else. Yeah, I so follow I, the 80-20 rule. It's like if, you know, 20% of my products are making 80% of my profits and I need to like see what's what to cut yeah, at the bottom. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a problem for a lot of people. Is they 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 have one or two. They call them hero products, uh, and then everything else is just filling in the, the gaps. And that that's risky. I don't like that. That's back on risk. That's that's risky. It's nice. You're like yes, I like this money coming in, but it, but if one of those goes down, uh, you're scrambling. Yeah, that's true. That is true. So I mean, you've had a remarkable Amazon journey. It's not over, and. I want to ask you, have you faced burnout or how do you avoid it? Uh, well, one of the ways I avoid it, I've, no, I haven't totally, fa- I haven't had a total burnout. Um, but probably because I'm involved in different things, you know, because I'm part of the time, I'm, I, my head is 90% focused on doing a billion dollar sell or something and the creativity of that. And then it's like, okay, now let me come up with a, this, what's the next dog product going to be? Or now let me, uh, you know, I'm speaking at an event or something. So I, I rotate it around so that I'm not, I don't have that burnout when I'm doing the same thing every day in and out. And I'm like, okay, I've had enough of this. I'm tired of looking at P&Ls every day. I'm tired of every Friday is the meeting. Uh, I'm tired of uh, um, every every month, you know, doing whatever it is, you know, um, talking to the 3PL and figuring, I, I, I switch it up enough uh, to keep it, keep it interesting. So no, I, ha- I haven't had... A burnout, and like right now, I'm launching. Super excited about this newsletter that I'm launching called the Billion Dollar Sellers Newsletter, and it's it's a it's a funnel. I mean, you're a marketer, you understand funnels and stuff, so it's a funnel. Uh, but it's gonna. I think it's gonna. I, I hope I'm right. I, I may be wrong, but I think it's gonna revolutionize the way people are marketing to other Amazon sellers, and I think it'll get copied. When I say newsletter, everybody's got a newsletter out there. You get them from Jungle Scout, you get them from Helium Ten, you get them from all these people. Nobody has a newsletter. I was just talking to Tomer Rebbevich at the event we were just at together, and he was like, "Yeah, nobody has a newsletter in this space." I said, "Yeah, people don't get that. They think they do. They right. have promotional. Email. They have promotional emails. Uh, they don't. They don't have newsletters." And so it's coming out uh, here shortly, and uh, I, it's going to be in beta for the first few weeks. So a small group get it just to get the the kinks out of the way I'm doing it, and then it's exploded. But that's a whole industry that's out there that people don't even understand. It's, I mean, you're from a journalism background. You would, you probably get it. Mm. The power of media and the power of an audience is, is huge and it's gotta be done. It's gotta be done right. And this, and you own the audience. It's not, I'm not depending on a, building a Facebook group or a Twitter following or a LinkedIn following that I, I do not own. Uh, and I cannot market to any time. Those are great. Don't get me wrong, but you don't own it. You can't market to it. I can, I can post something on Facebook to people who are subscribing to it and follow me. And 20% of them see it, maybe, if I'm lucky. True. Um, yeah. but, but if I send an email out and it's something that the people want 
and it's not spam. It's something that people want and are looking forward to. I get a 60 to 80% open rate. Uh, and, and, and I'm controlling when the message is going out, who it's going out to specifically. I can segment. And that's a whole industry out there outside of this world. And we're bringing that to products too. So I'm doing it for Amazon sellers initially because that's where I have an audience and a list. And I have a friend doing it in, co- uh, in tandem with me on his, a business he works on. It's in the um, eco space. And then we're going to start doing it for products to launch products. That's fun. So I, I love I, it. I have a, yeah. So it's going to be, uh, it's going to be good. Yeah. I've, I've been working on my fearless sellers newsletter for about like four or five months. And so I converted fearlesssellers.com to the newsletter sign up. Uh, but I am a perfectionist when it comes to anything to do with journalism. So I am mm-hmm. very spending a lot of time crafting it and putting it together. And I put one together. I have sent a couple out, but I put one together and it was around prime day. And then it didn't make it out at the exact hour I wanted it to go out. So I scrapped the whole thing. I was like, well, now it's like four hours into prime day. I don't feel that it's relevant. So I didn't send it out. <laughs> Yep. Um, What's your newsletter called? We'll promote it. What's it called? Let's all sign up. Billion Dollar Sellers. Billion Dollar Sellers. Billion Dollar Sellers.com. Not Summit, not Billion Dollar Sellers Summit, but Billion Dollar Sellers.com. We got Fearless Sellers. Educate educate and entertain. Uh, So you'll see when when it comes out. I think uh, as a journalism person, you might appreciate the way it's done. Um, And I've studied the ones outside that. I think that's something important, actually is we get so caught up in this Amazon space and we're all going to Amazon conferences and learning the latest tips and tricks. And uh, most of us don't get outside of this world into other places. Like I go to AI conventions. I go to like the Driven Mastermind. I go to uh, Funnel Hacking Live, which is ClickFunnels, because it brings in all these other disciplines from marketing and selling. And a lot of times someone's doing something really good in another marketplace, but they're not doing it necessarily in the Amazon or physical products marketplace. And you can a lot of the opportunities are blending things together. It's not doing the same thing everybody else is doing. It's like blending different modalities and different things. And so blending journalism with, with properly with merchandise, with e-com sales or with education is something no one's really doing in this space. And it's because the journalism people, they know journalism. They don't know e-commerce. The e-commerce people know e-commerce. They don't know journalism. I was the editor of my high school newspaper for two years. I produced television shows for for pay-per-view and for network television for 15 or 20 years. So I have that background. I mean, um, before I was doing a lot on the side of doing the Amazon stuff, we were doing a lot of uh, programming for DirecTV and, and stuff. I've produced reality TV shows. Um, you know, I've, I've done a lot of that. So I have that background. So I'm mixing those together with this newsletter. And uh, we're doing some pretty cool stuff with it. Um, and we're going to make, when we do the consumer version, we're mixing it with, with NFTs and NFC stuff. Um, so it's going to be, a, um, it's going to be cool. I'm looking forward to this billion sellers.com to sign up for Kevin's newsletter. And I hope in your newsletter, you're going to have some travel tips because there is, you'll, you'll see, uh, there, there is a travel hack thing in there. There, there's Amazon stuff, but it's not just the same old Amazon stuff you see everywhere. It's like, here's the five steps to launching a product on Amazon. Right. Or here it's it's the you've seen me present some of the like ninja hacks. So there'll be some of that. There will be a little bit of news stuff, but it's going to be the off the beaten path. Not the I'm pretty good at I used to do a newsletter. I had two hundred fifty thousand people on it um, wow. from nineteen ninety nine to two thousand twelve. We would get on. Uh, no, I'm sorry. Two thousand two. 
We would get on uh, Howard Stern back when he was on terrestrial radio and he'd blow up our servers. We were doing a daily newsletter with news, games, um, pictures of, a, of, of the cute girls, um, we, with all kinds of stuff. And it was highly successful. We quit doing it in 2002. Mark and I did it um, because of uh, right around then can spam came out. So back then there was no spam filters or spam folders or anything. Uh. Can spam came out and we started everybody started complaining like i'm not getting it i'm like where's my newsletter for today i didn't get it and it'd be in either blocked completely or some of the isps had a spam folder and so we just kind of veered off of it um and it wasn't the technology wasn't sophisticated like it is now now there's ways to you know to work that to work with getting into the inbox and to it's a totally different animal now but we just kind of veered away from it and went down another rabbit hole but it's it's kind of coming full circle back now i'm like shoot i know exactly what to do on this and Using some AI, AI is not writing it. I don't think AI can, it's anybody that's trying to do a newsletter and have AI write it, it's making a mistake. There's personality in it. So as you're reading it, it's like you're talking, you're like, it's like, it's a, a three to five minutes per day conversation with a friend. Um, and, and that's, that, it's got to have that personality and that slant. And so I went out and studied like the Milk Road, which is one for the crypto space. I don't know if you, if you ever gotten the Milk Road newsletter. These are free, by the way. Mine's free too. Yeah, but, free the way it's written with a tongue in cheek and the way they write certain things and the way they summarize things in the, it, it's all, you said you're a perfectionist. It's in the designs. It, it, you know, people don't, a lot of people don't even know what a widow is. Do you know what a widow is? I don't. In what writing in, in journalism, what a widow is or well, your TV. So you, you um, mostly, uh, but a widow is a, like a word on a line by itself. So people, you know, you write a paragraph of uh. text and the last line just has one word on it because that's, it wouldn't fit, you know, on the, on the, that's a widow. You'd never want widows. It breaks the eye flow. It breaks the flow of someone yeah. scanning. Okay. There's lots of little spacing matters. There's lots of little things like that that matter in a newsletter. When someone gets it, that's a pleasing to the eye. People eat with their eyes first, not what they don't read first. They eat with they, the eyes, analyze it. And so it's all about formatting and, and skimmability. And uh, this doesn't look too bad to read this. You know, it's a big block of text. Nobody's going to you know, like, ah, skip over that. Uh, and so many newsletters out there, they're more like, yeah, we just wrote a blog about the five ways to launch your, uh, right. to, to do your product better for Amazon. Click here to come read it. That gave me nothing. I then got to take another step. I got to click it. I got to go read this big ass long thing. I'm like, I don't have time for this shit. Just yep. tell me the things I freaking need to know. So in the newsletter, you'll see, it will tell you, if you've never clicked anything, you, I just learned something. And if you want to learn more, you want to dive deep, then you click and you go read it. But without even doing that, you're like, okay, I got the gist of this. I, I know, I know something. So it's there's a lot of that kind of thing. There's entertainment in there. There's listing wars. Um, you'll see there's two listings competing against each other in listing wars. There's I can't believe someone selling this section. Uh, you know, some products like I can't I believe that. someone. There's there's um, so it's entertaining. It's fun and it's educational. That's awesome. Twice a week. Well, twice I'm a week of reading. I'm really looking forward to that. All right, let's leave. Leave us with one of your best uh, travel hacks before we say goodbye. One of the best travel hacks. Oh, that's a, that's a good one. Um, probably is, you know, I, I earn a lot of miles because I'm using my PPC. I'm using, you know, everything, credit cards. So I, I, anything over three, a flight over three and a half hours, I don't like to fly coach. So I like to fly business, but I won't pay crazy amounts for business. You know, I won't pay $16,000 for a business class seat. I might pay four or five you know, in the right situation uh, for an international long, you know, 16 hour flight, but I won't pay that amount of money. So if I can't use that many miles, 
what I often do, this just happened. I went to the World Cup finals in Qatar last year in December um, with, with my wife at the time. And we, <clears throat> I was looking at first-class tickets on Qatar Airways. And I went to Qatar Airways, $16,000 from Austin to, uh, to Doha. Like, I ain't paying that. Uh, and I went on American Airlines, who's their partner, and British, they're in the One World Alliance, and it's crazy prices. But I was like, wait a second, JetBlue, I think, is actually has a partnership with American. Let me go actually pull this up on JetBlue's site. And JetBlue is actually, that partnership's dissolving now, but in 2022, that was still there. Uh, I went on JetBlue's site, I found the exact same flights for uh, 4800 bucks. So it's a $16,000, exact same plane, exact oh, wow. same everything, just, just labeled as JetBlue. So I booked that. Uh, and those are things that I do is look on other sites. Um, there's a, uh, on hotels, a lot of times you think you're getting the best deal in a hotel and it's even like a conference hotel. We just had this happen in Puerto Rico. We had, this is our rates, you know, click here to sign up. But if you go to super.travel, I think it is a lot of times they have the lowest rates over booking.com or over a lot of other places or, um, I don't know what they're doing, but sometimes it's just 10 bucks less. Sometimes it's hundreds of dollars less. Uh, and it, it's a, that's a great one to you. I mean, there's so many, we're actually at the next billion dollar seller summit. We're doing a, a travel hack contest for cash at, in Hawaii. So everybody in the audience is going to be throwing out the travel hacks. And I think that's going to be free, free amazing. Cause these are people that do a lot of travel. And that's awesome. Oh, that's such a good hack idea. Well, thank you for that tip. I hope I'm sure that's valuable for all of the listeners and Kevin, it has been an absolute pleasure to hope to host you today. I just want to say thank you for paving the way for sellers of all levels. And until next time, stay fearless. If you're already selling on Amazon or you're looking to get started and you want my help, go to amzfearless.com to book a free strategy selling session. We can see if we can help you out. That's amzfearless.com. Talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to the Fearless Sellers, the Women of Amazon podcast. Until next time, stay fearless. Fearless.